Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When I started getting a following, and I told you at a certain point, people start to just, just, you can never please anyone. And the feedback, the the advice I got was uh, never back down. Never back down from something you say. Like, if you have backlash, like, stick to it because they will, otherwise they'll, like, trampede you and, and beat you down. Mm. And I, and I kind of went with that for a while, but then I fundamentally just didn't agree with that. Yeah, like, that, that doesn't resonate, that doesn't with, resume, me. Resume, resonate with me at all because I, I changed my mind a lot. And I realized, like, the internet hasn't been trained yet to allow people to change their minds. Like, if you change your mind, then they consider you defeated. Welcome back to another episode of the Look Up podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. Um, really just like every time I leave one of these interviews, I am feeling so full, um, so grateful to my guests. Uh, I learned something new. This has just been such a such a wonderful experience. I don't know what's going to come of it, but uh, it's so fun. And I've gotten in the habit now of trying to record these intros actually right after I speak with my guests so that everything is fresh in my mind and I'm kind of riding off of that energy. So hopefully you guys notice um, a difference in this introduction. So this interview you're about to hear is with Priti Casiretti. Uh, Priti is the founder of a company called True Story. Um, she is incredible extremely intelligent. Um, she was a partner at Andreessen Horowitz prior to um, joining True Story and worked on many interesting deals over there. And then she decided to quit her role in venture capital and become an engineer. Uh, and she worked at Coinbase for a year before diving down the path of entrepreneurship and building her first company. And of course, this show, at least the early episodes are very much focused on our interactions and relationship with technology and how that's impacting our day-to-day lives. And True Story is a company that is trying to turn the social media model on its head. Um, And instead of follows and likes and people attacking each other personally, it is a platform developed to promote the quality of content um, and users have to put some um, some stake, some skin in the game in order to uh, to participate, which makes them less likely to randomly attack strangers. And I think the the fundamental thing to note about True Story that I took away from this is it's promoting conversation um, rather than what I consider to be connected monologue that we see often on these social media platforms, which were marketed to us as tools to connect us, but in a lot of ways have actually torn us apart. And so I'm really excited to see what happens with some com- with True Story, with, with Preeti um, and companies like hers that are trying to flip this model on its head and, and use technology to bring us closer together. 
Uh, so that's enough out of me. I think I've spoken too much already. Um, I'm posting key information and links in the show notes. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Preeti Kassaradi. So I'm here with Preeti Kassaradi. Thank you for coming on the Lookout Podcast, Preeti. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. I'm excited. The founder and CEO of True Story. Yep. So tell me a little bit about True Story. Sure. Um, in a nutshell, True Story is building a platform where you can have civilized debates about mm. claims that people make online. And yeah, that's what it is in a nutshell. But if I want, if you want to go ahead into it, um, so the premise of it is anyone can make a claim. And this can be a claim that you make yourself or that you see someone else make. And then you bring it to the app if you want to debate about it. And the purpose of debate is not to say one person is right and one other person is wrong, but it's really to encourage people to provide arguments that are sound and have evidence and, and strong argumentation. Mm. Because what's lacking in the current ecosystem is there's always like one-sided conversations and you're not really seeing the both sides of the argument. And so the platform is designed from ground up to enable that, where you can see both sides of the argument. So I see the effect of Twitter or even Facebook comments and what I would call um, connected monologue yep. rather than dialogue. What about those platforms do you think inherently leads to this type of communication versus, let's call it, healthy debate? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fundamentally a few things. One is... Let's take Twitter, for example, where you can argue nowadays more conversation is happening on Twitter that wasn't really that it wasn't really designed for. Mm. Like Twitter was designed for sharing statuses. Um, mm. And over time, because of the network it's built, people start to use it in different ways. And because it's so simple and you can kind of use it in different ways, you can have threads, you can have links, you can have kind of everything, but in the most like simplest form. Mm. Um you should just see people ha- are now having dialogue on it. But it wasn't really ever designed for that. Like t- Twitter was meant for like quick updates. And so as you'll notice that on t- a platform like Twitter, as soon as you try to have a nuanced conversation, it starts to break down. And yeah. I notice this time and time again where developers will hop on or even crypto people will hop on and try to make like really strong points of view. But then it always ends up into this like n- no man's land of back and forth conversation that that doesn't really end in a productive, doesn't really give answers to many people. Like, what was the end outcome of this? Mm. And um, I've seen so many times on Twitter where people will start a conversation and they'll be like, I can't really answer this here. Twitter's not the place to do this. Let's yes. do it somewhere else. So let's take this offline. And I think, like, that's really the, the one of the main things that True Story is designed for, where, like, if, you have, if you're having a conversation on Twitter and you don't feel it's a good enough place to have a conversation, take it offline and have it on True Story. And we're already doing that today in the app where Mm -hmm. we see debates happening on True Story and we bring it to the app and we debate it ourselves because it's teaching us how to not just debate about superficial claims, but we dig into the substance behind what that claim is trying to get at and have a conversation around it. And so a lot of these platforms like Facebook and Twitter were not designed to be intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, Social media, social networks in the early days were designed for quick, fun, um, broadcasts, you can say. Yeah. They weren't designed for dialogue. 
And so we believe the next generation of social, social networks are going to be driven by intentional behavior because people are kind of sick and tired of what's happening on the current networks. For sure. And so we're deciding that from ground up where everything on True Story is intentional. So, so what led you to, you know, to dive into this idea? I obviously think it's super important. Um, you have a lot of followers on Twitter. Um, have you been in many of these arguments? Have you been trolled personally? Um, yeah. Um, has that had an impact? It's definitely had an impact recently because, I mean, my following kind of doubled over the last year. And wow. there's a certain point at which you can no longer please everyone. Mm. Like, I would say up to twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 followers, you can, like, kind of say stuff and most people will agree. Mm. But after a certain threshold, people just, you're always going to piss off somebody. So, of course, um, I started a tweet and it was not the same. Like, I would start getting a bunch of troll responses as soon as I said something that someone didn't agree with. How did that make you feel? Um, initially, I kind of ignored it. Okay. But then I started to realize that, um, like, I started to realize that sometimes these people that were responding that way, they didn't actually mean it. It was like this platform that makes you so easy to say something back and yeah. take hot, have hot takes. And they, if they if they had to actually think about what they said, I can almost guarantee you they wouldn't have said it. At least like half of these people. Or if they had to look you in the eye. Look me in the eye and say it, and right? Say it. Or if they had skin in the game, like we do on True Story. Like where yeah. everything is intentional. Ooh, tell me more about skin in the game. What's that mean? <laughs> um, well, on True Story, you can't make an argument without having skin in the game. So you have to put up some amount of stake to mm. provide your argument. So if you want your voice to be heard... You have to stake something. And that little extra action that you have to take of putting skin in the game, mm. it's not meant to say, it's not meant to say, it's not meant to like be like, encourage like, um, like sometimes when people hear skin in the game, they're like, what if someone um, tries to game the system, etc." Like the point of it is really to, again, like bring more intention into the platform. Because if you're putting skin in the game, you're probably going to think about what you say. My one place where my mind goes when I hear skin in the game is like, oh, why, why do we need to tie financial incentives um, to human behavior in order to get us to act the right way? What do you think about that? That's a good question. And I think um, if there's one universal thing that people care about, it's money. Yeah. Um, and that's good and bad uh, in the sense that people will do anything for money, but people will also work for money, right? Like you go to work every day because you want money. Mm. Um, money brings the good in you. You are willing to produce value for the world for money. Um, so I think like when there is that reward, it just, because people care about it so much, it requires some level of intention, whether it's good or bad. And now the question is, how do you make it, make sure it's good? Mm. And that's kind of what we're really doing as a platform and the community in the sense that we take a very strict stance on community values and community guidelines, who's allowed to come into the community, what types of behavior is okay. And we're very, very okay with kicking people out if they don't do that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So who is, who is um, responsible for kicking people out? So we have, again, we have a set of guidelines and values. and mm. um, Which are, I read. and It's for, on our website, yeah. yeah. And, I'd love to talk about some of those as well. Yeah, and... Right now, it's kind of the early community that's responsible for deciding these kinds of things. So far, we haven't had a single incident of someone doing something malicious at all. Um, in fact, we've, it's been 
beyond amazing to see how well they actually conform to the values. But what we're going to be doing is on the platform, there's something called cred. So users earn cred for providing good arguments that other people rely on for their own stake. So let's say I make a claim um, and I type in a really good argument for why I either back or challenge this claim. Mm. Um, I can earn cred for that argument if other people base their stake on my argument. So you either create a new argument or you base it on someone else's. So people that really believe in or agree with the argument that you're making can then stake their own not cred, a different true True stake. Their true stake on you You. and you gain cred. Yes. So it's almost like it's a new reputation system built around the quality of the content that you produce rather than the way that you look as is sometimes with Instagram or how snarky you can be as sometimes with Twitter or sensationalist as we've seen. Now, I guess the only, when I hear um, we really want to maintain, you know, keep track of who comes in and out of the community. I think that's important, but of course all of the recent news around Twitter and all these interviews that Jack Dorsey has been going on where the number one question seems to be about when is enough enough? Um, and then also on the flip side, you know, do they have the right to censor yeah. and, and remove people? Yeah. So I would say censoring and removing people are different things. Okay. Um, censoring content, like, I think people get those two words mixed up. Um, censoring content, yeah, like, that's bad if you have certain, certain like, if you're biased. Mm. Um but if you if you upfront define a set of values and guidelines that almost no one can disagree with, or at least a community that wants to be part of this community cannot disagree with, then if we can generally agree that this person didn't follow this value and guideline, then we can universally agree that that person deserves to not be part of the community. Mm. Is so, there a redemption for someone that breaks the rules? Is there a is there a um, penalty box, you yeah. know, and then that person can... Like, we haven't fully designed this completely yet, so okay. we're actually still in the works of, like, figuring out exactly how the moderation system will work. Um, because I think moderation is probably the most challenging issue of all of yes. these social platforms. Yeah, and you have to get it right now. Because yes. one of the biggest things that Facebook and Twitter did was they got it, tried to get it right too late. Mm. And so their safety and privacy teams, their policy... Uh, their uh, uh, moderation teams, they kind of came out of need rather than building it in as part of the system. Yeah. And so we take the opposite point of view in the sense that we set those guidelines and values up front and we ensure that anyone who joins the community at least reads them a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then what we're going to be designing to the platform is a way for high cred users. So people who've earned reputation on the platform mm-hmm. will have a say in terms of how and what, content and arguments make it or don't now one thing i I know we're diving we're diving actually relatively deep into into this right now probably not as deep as you've been i'm sure you're very much in the weeds one thing that i've noticed with existing social platforms instagram is a perfect example the early adopters generated a huge following right like if you were if you were posting memes in 2012 or 2013 on instagram it's likely that you, and you were consistent, yeah. it's likely that you developed an extremely large following by now, yeah. right? And now in Instagram's version of cred, which is follower count, um, these early adopters have much more influence over the system 
than others, I would say. Yeah, I would say credit is not really, f- it's, it's a lot more meaningful than follower account. Yeah. Um, you can't really game earning cred. Like you have to work to provide that really strong argument that other people are willing to stake on. Mm. Whereas like with a lot of these follower accounts, it's like people have almost like created a system for how to gain these followings. For sure. Um, you can argue that that might not have been the case in the early days, but I think like I definitely don't view credit and followings analogous. I think credit is much more meaningful. I guess I'm, I'm not trying to, to um, I guess I agree. I yeah. don't think they're 100% analogous. What, what I'm trying to get at is will earlier users, how do you protect against early adopters of the platform becoming those with the most credit and thus those with the most power? Yeah. Um, is there some kind of catch-up mechanism in place yeah. for new users? Yeah. So there is. Oh, cool. um, and so again, true stake is inflationary. And so the reason it's inflationary is because we want, we're incentivizing active participation. Okay. So you, if you, every time you stake, you are earning interest on that stake, regardless of whether you're right or wrong or win or lose. And if you're not staking, then over time you get inflationed out of the system because more and more supply is being created and you earn a smaller, smaller percentage of that. And that's and so, your true stake token. That's yeah, not your cred. That's not your cred. Okay. So if you're, and then if you're not participating, then other people are earning cred, but you're not. So your cred will, if you stop participating, your cred will go down relative to others, others who are yes. more active. Yes. Now, this this actually brings me to another question, and this is all this is like what's so challenging about designing these social media yeah. platforms is like now, um, you know, one of the one of the themes of this show is is really about how how is our lives on the screen and in the digital world kind of affecting our lives in the real world? Yeah. So if I'm now in a system that's also monetarily monetarily incentivizing me to participate, um, you know, am I, is there an inclination for people to become addicted to this new game? And how do you think about protecting them against that sort of, um, you know, potentiality? Yeah, that's a really fair question. And I think like, I can't like, it's obvious that some, like, I think it, rely, it, it fundamentally comes down to the human. You can't take everything. You can become addicted to basically anything. Mm. And, and so I don't think it's about not make building stuff that people can get addicted to because I can argue that don't make peanut butter because people can get addicted to peanut butter. I mean, I love peanut I love butter. butter. I eat it every day. <laughs> I, I eat it three times a day. So yeah. should people stop so you making really love pe- peanut butter? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so should people stop making? <laughs> uh, should people stop making peanut butter? No. Um, yeah. um, secondly, I'd argue that, um, like, because it requires skin in the game, you actually have to be very thoughtful about where you put it. So we've noticed. So right now, none of it. There's no monetary value tied to the platform. We're not going to price the token anytime soon. That's not even in the works um, okay. because we want to build a platform with the early creators purely on like intrinsic motivations. And one of the things I'm noticing is like I only have a certain amount of true stake. So when I'm making my stakes, like I have to be thoughtful about where I want to put that. Um, I don't have unlimited supply and I can't even if I want to, I can't get more supply. So it actually requires me to for, forces me to think and be intentional. Again, it comes back to 
high intention versus low intention. Mm. Like everything, every design decision in the product that we're making is around building high intention products because those are harder to get addicted to. Because yeah. you, and you and even if you get addicted to it, you you don't feel bad because you're getting value out of it. Like you're actually intentionally doing something, and so you're probably doing it because you want to. I think that makes sense. You know, I think I've had um, another guest on the show. His name's Andrew Murray Dunn. Yeah. And he's creating an operating system for Android that um, is trying to improve our habits and relationship to our cell phones. And one of the features is you actually have to input an intention before you pick up your phone. Yeah. And so, you know, that simple feature, I think, that active intention, I agree, is helpful in um, in making sure that individuals aren't uh, aren't getting addicted to the platform. Um, you're you use social media um, it, to share your ideas often. I've read some of your posts. Um, you know, how, how does it feel when you're sharing kind of some of your, your vulnerable stories with just, you know, tens of thousands of strangers? Like posting about some kids, you know, looking at their iPad in an elevator and how you tweeted that <laughs> out. I thought that was great. Because yeah. I always, by the way, okay, so for yeah. listeners, there was um, a tweet about parenting and um, how it's bad to just give your kids an iPad. Yeah. And, you know, I have a niece and nephew. I don't have kids. And I've certainly judged my sister. Sorry, Adria. I love you for doing that. Um, and I've never been a parent before and she's throwing that back at me. And I think you received some of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically and you wrote about I, your experience. Yeah. I wrote about my experience too. Basically all I said was, uh, like, you know, I was in an elevator and I saw a kid, um, and he was like crying and then the mom gave him the iPad and I tweeted that like every time a parent is actually required to parent, they shove an iPad in the kid's face and that <laughs> just, that rubbed the, a lot of people the wrong way, I think. Yeah. Um, I think some people messaged me privately and were like, you said the right thing. I'm a parent and I feel incredibly guilty for what, for doing that. Mm. And so they're like, I'm glad you said that publicly, but they weren't, they were scared to like respond to my tweet directly. So I found that interesting one. Oh, cool. Um, two, the, the I people, wonder why they didn't want to post that publicly because they were, they were afraid of the backlash. From they were afraid. Of, yeah. And like, whereas like, because a few people, parents responded and be like, say the same thing when you have a kid, you know, like kind of like the typical backlash. Um, and I think what it made me realize is a few things. One, it, people wouldn't have gotten mad if there was not some truth to it. Ooh. Like you don't get, if I just called you, you're a blue headed, ugly monster. Like you're not going to get mad. I mean, like, I'd right. Probably, there might be some truth to that, but I, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't get mad. <laughs> so, you usually get mad about something if there's some little bit of truth to it, right? Yeah. And so there's something there. And I think one of my really good mentors reached out to me after that tweet. And he was like, um, the, only, the reason I think you're getting a lot of backlash is because parents do this out of need and they feel guilty about it. But sometimes they just have to. They just need that break. And they want to give that kid the iPad so they can just breathe for a second. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like that's a fair thing. That's a fair thing for why you would feel guilty about that. So yeah, it was an interesting tweet. So did and you so you you were interacting with people. I haven't actually seen this the the conversation, but yeah. you were in fact having a conversation with people on Twitter. Yeah. How did how did that go? <sighs> not too well. Again, like Twitter <laughs> is not designed for nuanced conversation mm. and 
um, it's it's so hard to convey an idea fully in a tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, especially because like, there's always like a bunch of trolls that jump into the middle of it. And like, it just like breaks up the whole conversation and threading on Twitter sucks. Like everything about it just like, to me, it's not a good conversation platform. But there were a few times where I think what I said, people, but what I've noticed about Twitter is like, because it has a big enough network, even though the conversation might seem fragmented, people will notice when you respond somewhere. So I did get some responses saying like, I appreciate you being open there. I appreciate you telling people that you're willing to change your mind. I appreciate you telling people that you are open to counter arguments, et cetera. What if Twitter had like a button that was like, instead of retweet, it was like, change my mind. Or like, instead of deleting the post, yeah. right? I actually, so... We have that on True Story. You do? Yeah. Oh, no way. That's cool. Where you can change, you can flip, you can change your mind. We have on arguments, um, we're building an interaction. We don't want likes because we think likes are, again, not intentional. Yes. Um, so us, our form of likes are either I learn something new or I change my mind. Ooh, I like that. So, yeah. I mean, isn't that the point of yeah. conversation? Conversation. Yeah. Is to learn. Yeah. Like, if you're not changing your mind often... So speaking of social media, I recently posted a Henry Kissinger quote on my Instagram and it was something like, if you're 100% certain about something, you either know everything about it or you know nothing about it. it. And I loved the quote and I'm bringing this up for two reasons. One, um, I think that's incredible that you're offering an incentive for people to actually publicly say, hey, I changed my mind because that's something that's incredibly broken in a lot of our yeah you know what they say right like one of the biggest like when i started getting a following and i told you at a certain point people start to just just you can never please anyone and the feedback the the advice i got was uh never back down never back down from something you say like if you have backlash like stick to it because they will otherwise they'll like trampede you and and beat you down Mm. and i and I, I kind of went with that for a while, but then I fundamentally just didn't agree with that. Yeah, I was like, that doesn't resonate. That doesn't resume, resume, resonate with me at all because I, I changed my mind a lot. Me too. And Maybe too much. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's not cool. And I realized like the internet hasn't been trained yet to allow people to change their minds. Like if you change your mind, then they consider you defeated. Well, I feel it's not the so the internet to me and a lot of these these applications are just a an extension of human problems. Yeah. And I think one of the fundamental human problems we have with our current system, and maybe this has gone on for, you know, thousands of years, who knows, is um, public, public um, figures are castigated. I think that's the right word for changing their mind. Yeah. Right. In politics, right. It's, it's, it's seen as weakness to shift your platform, but like, that, I think it's so bad. It's so bad. Because, like, you don't, like, how do you expect people to learn? Like, you learn by putting your point of view out there mm. and being proven wrong or proven right. And half the time, 50-50 chance that you might be wrong and you should be changing your mind because yeah. otherwise that's called dogmatism. Yeah. It's it's faith it's, or, or lack of thoughtfulness, yeah. potentially. Dogmatism doesn't lead to truth. What is Geffen's, Geffen's law? Is that's that's another like how do you feel about that? What is that again? Can you I think me? I think it's Geffen's law. I'm not sure, but there's some people, especially in the crypto industry, that yeah. are like, I use Twitter with Geffen's law, 
which is like, I'm going to post the incorrect argument intentionally so that people respond and react and I can discover the correct answer. Oh yeah. This is like the, the unpopular opinion thing that's trending on Twitter these days. Oh really? Um, Yeah. It's like, yes. I think, I mean, that's kind of, that's really what, again, like what we do on the true story platform where, um, like, if I just really want someone to change my mind about something, I will post a claim about it and I'll try to hear it. Like, um, for example, I think uh, one, this was just for fun. We were just having fun. We posted a claim about uh, dogs being better pets than cats. Ooh, you that got one, a lot of angry we got cat a lot people. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of happy dog people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so it was just like a way to encourage people to convince me otherwise. And that's just a, a funny example. But there's countless times where it's designed to do that. But on Twitter, yeah, like people are doing that because I think people are kind of sick of um, like the one-sided narratives. Mm. And they almost want to hear the other side. Is there always value in hearing the other, in hearing the other side or giving the other side a platform? Absolutely. Um, can you maybe? Well, yeah. so I'm, because I'm thinking about it, because on the one hand, right, we just yeah. we just discussed, and I completely agree that we should all be able to change our minds, and thus we need to seek out the opposing opinion. But then on the other hand, I think about, um, you know, and I don't really watch the news. I don't really interact with, um, you know, modern TV. My, my parents do. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I think is is often brought up is, well, oh, thanks. Is, uh, is, you know, like a platform like Fox News or MSNBC or CNN even culpable for promoting false narratives because they always want to have this side against that side. And thus they bring, for climate change as an example, right? I don't really talk much about politics on this show, but they bring on one pundit who's a scientist and, you know, 100% of scientists believe that climate change is real. And, and then they bring on this other guy who's a flat earther. And he's like, how can we talk about climate change? We don't even know if the earth is round. Right. And so yeah. in that instance, CNN or MSNBC or whoever is creating debate, but also elevating this gentleman yeah. to the status of the scientist who's done, you know, tens of years of research on this. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking, like, is it always good to have that other perspective? I guess it's a loaded question because I, I'm almost answering it myself. I think when I say other perspective, like, let's take flat earthers, for example. Um, I'm fascinated by flat earthers. Yeah. Uh, I've been, like, observing that community for a while. And I think um, it, 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 hit, it's, it hits home to me a lot because one of the, one of the biggest things I fundamentally learned in building True Story is... One of the biggest problems I see in the 21st century is lack of critical thinking. Mm. And all these, like my, my thesis on all this is it's not a fake news problem. It's a critical thinking problem. People Ooh. fundamentally have forgotten how to think about the information they consume. And I know this with data and objective data points because I've been trying to build this community for True Story and it's a numbers game. If you bring 100 people, about 10 to 20 people can actually critically think. And it's well, not that they can't do it. It's just that our, they haven't, that's not the muscle that's trained in modern day, modern day schools and modern day social networks. 
And so the flat earther, if you look at any of their arguments, you can pick apart the argument because there is nothing. There is no argument. It's it's just purely belief and propaganda. And that doesn't that doesn't fly on true story. So like So so what is critical thinking? Critical thinking, how do I define? Yeah, that's a good question. It's yeah. it's the ability to think To find the best way to do it. I know, like I, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, I think I know what it is, yeah. but it's it's challenging to define, you know, and and to without defining it, how do we identify how to improve it? Or it's the ability to provide an argument, provide a sound argument by looking at the argument as a whole. So, um, not in, like. A, like you have to a understand your own biases going into the argument. Like, what do you know? What, you, what do you not know? Um, what do you believe? What do you don't believe? So you have a holistic sense of how you're going into this argument. What are you presenting, and what are you missing? And so, if someone can actually do that, they can critically think. We have like a rubric that we created for how what is a good Ooh, argument. I'd love to see that. Um, and we give it to our community because it just provides you a framework for uh, are you hitting all the points. But typically it's like, can you understand your own biases? Can you construct the argument? And then can you talk about what's missing from your argument? Can you can you see that? And if you can see that, then you can critically think. So why do you think that we lack critical thinking at a broader level or it's, you know, that muscle's not being trained? I mean, one, it starts from just schools like schools don't actually fundamentally teach critical thinking i've realized yeah, they focus on rote memorization rote memorization um and it, it just it's mind-boggling to me how many people graduate college and don't know how to critically think they're basically just like robots walking around um secondly modern day social media like what does it incentivize you to do it incentivizes you consu- to consume Boom. it does never it never incentivizes you actually to pause and think reflect. about what, and reflect. So you can Ooh. sit on Twitter and think that you're learning because of all this information pouring into you. But how much of that do you actually remember a week from now? So I, I liken it to junk food. Yeah. Um, or eating in general. Yeah. Or breathing. Right. Yeah. Like we take a deep breath. Imagine if we just had a continuous inhale. Yeah. Or we just never stopped eating. Right. Yeah. Like. That's how I feel about this information. I, I call it crypto brain. Yeah. Um, I think it's worse. I think it stretches far beyond just the crypto industry. Yeah. But it's this kind of overindulgence in new information. Yeah. Rather than taking the time to process. Yeah. How do you structure your day or your life even in order to emphasize that critical thinking? A, um, I limit my social media usage. Like, and I think it's also intrinsic. Like, to be honest, like, I don't go on, there's very few times I go on Twitter. I'm like, oh my God, I something <laughs> so new. Like, a lot of it's just like, oh, like, I probably wouldn't remember it like a week from now. Like, so, you know, like, and so I've been trying to limit, A, like, you limit how much you actually consume. B, um, I, I basically have hours of the day where I literally just think. Like, I'm not even lying. Like, I literally, like, block off hours to just think. I love that. Um, and because if you're not thinking, then you're probably not doing the right things. Do you have a structure for the way that you think? 
do you start with a question or do you allow your mind to just float? I I think everyone's different and I think everyone should no everyone not everyone should emulate me, but me, um, I, I let myself float because I'm introverted. I'm already very um, in my in my own brain a lot, in my mm. own head. And so I can kind of just follow my logic and figure it out. Um, but some people my boyfriend is an example. He's an extrovert. So for mm. him, he has to be he has to discipline himself to think, basically. Yeah. Um, he has like the list, like this is what I'm going to think, think about, about now. Yeah. Or a question to ask. Yeah. I like to start with a question. Yeah. Although I have to admit I don't allocate enough time for emptiness. And you know, even one thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is even this like, you know, I consider myself a yogi and this meditation movement, yeah. right? This mindfulness. It's even it's perverse in its own way because it's like filling empty space with something, which is meditating, meditation, yeah. right? Instead of just allowing there to be empty space. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. And like, uh, I, I actually don't meditate. Okay. Um, you go to the not, gym though, you lift weights. I go to, I go to the gym every day. Um, and that, um, I would argue that I'm naturally pretty Zen in the sense that I don't have anxiety or I don't, mm. I get, you know, enough sleep every day. I'm I eat every day. very jealous. I'm a garden variety neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. You couldn't tell. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I go to the gym every day. And so that's where I release all my anger and whatever. Mm. Um, but I think the, the, the trend in meditation is fascinating because it also aligns with the, the, the trend in psychedelics. There's, there's something massive going on. There's a massive shift in, in human psyche going on that all of a sudden meditation is taking off and psychedelics are taking off. Yes. And I think what I figured out is, what I think it is, is people just want a break. People are so over inundated that they just want to break. They want to escape. They want to escape from this like world of infinity that they feel being thrown into Ooh, them. World of infinity. And their, their brains are not able to stop unless they do psychedelics. Or well, it's crazy because, you know, like we, we think about technology in terms of progress. Yeah. And we've progressed to a state of instead of the technology that we use being able to make our lives easier, they've instead tethered us to, to perpetual stress, I yeah. would say, because there's constant connection. Um, and you know, in the work environment in particular, uh, I interviewed Adam Alter who wrote irresistible and he told me something they're doing in Europe, which I love, which is, Companies are literally saying between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m., we're shutting down your email. Wow. You will not receive email until the next morning at 6 a.m. Now, then, of course, being the neurotic that I mentioned, I was like, I can't imagine getting 150 emails at 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be crazy. But, yeah. you know, it's just, I like that idea. The, the world of infinite. Yeah. Right? Like it's we, bad. It's not good. We don't it's have not even infinite. It's not even infinite. It's an illusion of infinity. Mm. that's a huge difference um, it's, it's an, an illusion, illusion of infinity but then it's actually complete emptiness so true everybody this is like another term that people in VC love to use yeah. I love how these, these terms these practices can get so overused that they lose their meaning 
signal versus noise. Yeah. That's where my mind went when yeah. you mentioned this. Yeah. And then I'm just like laughing at myself for thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, signal, like signal versus noise is actually a very powerful way to think about stuff, right? Like, um, and it kind of applies to a lot of things I've realized. Um, for example, even on True Story, like with things being high intentional, like I said, with the likes versus not having likes, like we decided against likes because we felt that that was noise, but not enough signal. Mm. And everything we do on the platform, we want it to be signal and not noise, or as much as it can be. Um, so I think, yeah, like it's a, it's a very powerful way to think about stuff. And same thing on Twitter, right? Like it how is, much but, of it is, but most of it is noise. It is. I don't even call it, it's like air, and and we're we're so inundated. Yeah, and like one of the one of my this is kind of tangential but related. One of my, one of my, I still remember something my ex-boyfriend told me where he was like a prolific reader. He read books like every day. And he found this one book by Mar- Marcus Aurelius. The Meditations? Meditations. Ah, so wonderful. And he finished it. Like he was just like captivated by it. Finished it. And I think he told me, he was like, I don't think I have to ever read another book in my life. Like basically it encapsulates every self-help book, business book, everything in one. And I was like, that's so true because like, like sometimes like all of this information is not new. It's just like repackaged stuff thrown at you in different ways. Mm. And that's why it feels new because it's coming in new formats, new timeframes, new everything. And like, that's so, so on point, you know, like I, I think I was listening to a podcast actually recently it probably was Farnham Street with Shane Parrish and um, referencing, you know, if you haven't read Adam Smith, yep. like what's the point of studying economics, right? Like, and this is another yeah. VC term that's overused. Go back to first principles. principles yeah. And that makes sense, right? A lot of this stuff is known. A lot of the fundamental truths of life have been discovered. Yeah. And we are just repack. Yes. That's why I, so one practice that I do that I have that I love is I try to read a passage from the Gita every now and again. Yeah. And I feel like that, that book is so packed with, with truths. Yeah. Um, I'm actually planning potentially to give a Ted talk. And yeah, it's cool, but it also, I have a lot of, you know, self-awareness about it. Yeah. Because I think that's a platform that, is a perfect example of signal and noise yeah. or repackaging, repurposing. And, you know, the reason I bring it up is because I, there is some power to the repackaging um, because maybe that the way that you repackage it, like the way that you have kind of identified some of the things that I've been thinking about in your own words have sparked these little ahas mm-hmm. for me um, and hopefully for others that are listening. And so I think maybe that's why we continue to do it. But then it's like anything else when it's taken to an extreme, then it's like, oh, it's another TEDx talk yeah. about following your your passion, <laughs> you know, and, like, yeah. and doing a podcast and quitting your job yeah. and like yeah. do as I do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, it's, it's also because like they're fundam- like all these repackaging of information, it fundamentally um, serves a human, it doesn't serve a human need. It, it's it's uh, serving something that humans think they desire. Mm. 
Um, so it's pl- it's like almost like taking advantage of humans in a way that they don't even realize is happening. How do you define? How would you explain the human mind to someone or the brain? It's a loaded question. <laughs> no, it's not loaded. Yeah, what do you mean? It's not loaded. I yeah. mean, I have I have my own. Maybe the definition of loaded is if I have an answer, but okay. I'm curious to hear what you think. So I'll share with you okay. how I think what about is it? it. Well, I question sometimes whether if I, whether the human mind is more of an antenna that tunes into different frequencies. Um, and we, the only thing that we as individuals have control over is the frequency that, which we, which we are able to tune into. And then we're just receiving information from the ether. Yeah. Or if the human mind is more like a filter, um, that, well, maybe they're, they're related because the antenna tuning into one frequency is filtering out the others. But, you know, a lot of people describe the mind, we're bombarded with information all the time. And in the natural world, our mind filters out most of it because we could never process what we receive in the digital world it's like yeah we just don't have that ability so So i i I definitely think about it in the way you describe it in the sense that it's you become everything you think Mm. and so what you're processing and what you're letting your mind process is what you turn out to be so you become what you consume and I have no... So you're going to turn into a jar of peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) But like, you know, like, you know, you consuming people's thoughts, like thoughts are probably the most powerful mind shifting things in the world. Like Mm. you hear something on Twitter, you hear someone say this and you start to think it and then you believe it and then you become it. Um, And... And that's why lately I've been very careful about like what thoughts I let into my little sphere. Um, because before social media, social media, I didn't have to worry about this. I was just like, you know, I was like just doing my own thing. Like I had my own like little bubble around me and I just yeah. believed what I wanted to believe. And based on things I read or things I learned. Whereas like now you're so influenced by other people's thoughts because it's, especially Twitter. Twitter's like this thought factory, right? Like. Yeah. It's just people going online and saying what's what's truth. And so it's so easy for you to just become what you see and, yeah. and hear. And you've been a VC before. Yeah. And, you know, I'm doing that now aside from this. And, you know, it's almost even impossible. I, I probably cannot even identify what is an original thought. Yeah. Maybe there are no, there's no such thing. Yeah. And I don't really, it's not even about being original. Like there is no original thoughts. Like there's very few original thoughts. Like I said, everything yeah. can be boiled down to, to one Marcus book. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Which meditations is, is powerful. Um, <laughs> so I think a lot of it is like what, whatever form works best for you, right? Like you might experience a thought differently. You might experience a thought by learning it through experience. Another person might experience that same thought by reading it, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, so I don't really care about originality or the lack of originality because that's never been the case. There's very few things in the world that are original. It's more about, um, does it add value? Right? Like sometimes we can be in this Twitter bubble and think all these, like this really cool, this, basically it's like idea porn. And, and not only is it idea porn, it's like idea porn with a, a feedback loop that can really boost that ego that then wants to go out and, and share more of that more idea of that. porn. Yeah. Like yesterday I posted something that I, I posted something about like sharing openly and how, you know, it's had a really positive impact on my life because more people that I resonate with have entered my life as a result of that, which yeah. is true to me. 
you know, but then I have to admit I was going back because all of a sudden people were retweeting it and liking it. And I was like, wow, like, you know, like then it almost becomes a caricature of itself, Mm -hmm. this idea. And it's such an interesting way to feed our egos, you know, and that's why I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm really excited about this experiment that, I mean, it's an experiment in a lot of ways, what you're building, yeah, right? To everything see is an experiment. what happens when you remove some of these, maybe feedback loops that were thought out through behavioral design to keep us coming back, or maybe just weren't thought out enough. Um, I just love that you guys are in here in your little idea factory, <laughs> you know, churning out, okay, like how can we improve this? Yeah. And look, it's not just us, right? Like I think um, it's beautiful because it's also a community telling us what they want. Um, like people, when I say people are sick of traditional social social media, like I mean it. Like people are, one of the biggest reasons people join is because they are sick of some of the all the exact things we talked about with Twitter and Facebook and other platforms. Mm. And so they come to this platform because they want a new, fresh way to do stuff. And they will even tell us when we're going too far in the engagement route. Like we literally have debates in the app about certain features that we thought would drive engagement or be more exciting. And we had a few like community members like strongly oppose that because it goes against our values and ethos. Well, it's hard. I mean, it must yeah. be really challenging. It's challenging. Like, where do you get? Where do you set the? Where do you set the line? Yeah. Right. And you so you want engagement. Yeah, you want engagement, but you also don't want. Well, what about like, like what is a what is a, a model institution or a model structure? I mean, you're creating something entirely novel, but like, as we just described, nothing is truly original. What is almost a model structure institution in the analog world that could be um, inspiring to true story? Interesting. That's a good question. I haven't thought about it in the analog world. Conversation. Yeah. Like, do you ever, like when you have a conversation, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, overdose on conversation. Yeah, for sure. Well, like, for, for us introverts at yeah. times, it, it can be time yeah. to go process. Yeah, and it's intentional. You can only yeah. talk to one person at a time. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you get tired of it and you need, you need a break. Like, I, always, I always struggle with bowing out of conversations in yeah. like a party setting. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I actually have to use the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then cut out. It's the worst. <laughs> I, hate those. I hate those moments. No, but I, li- I like that. You know, there's... I, I, tell my sister this all the time. My other sister, Nikki. Hey, Nikki. Um, (laughs) All the family shout outs today. Uh, I heard something recently that there's only two types of conversations that actually leave the individuals with a negative feeling afterwards. Um, The first is argument, right? Hostile argument, which is why Twitter and, you know, even Facebook now are so dangerous. Um, The second is actually surprising. It's unsolicited feedback. Huh? Which I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Nobody likes receiving unsolicited feedback. feedback. <laughs> I didn't ask you. <laughs> yeah, like lay off me. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I like. How'd that. You, where'd you Where'd you read that? I'm just curious. Uh, there's um, a woman who is also on the Farnham Street podcast, and I'm blanking on her name, but she's like OG NPR okay. interview master, um, and I'll post a link to her, that interview um, where she talks about the art of conversation oh uh, maria P- papawa 
or something? No? Uh, okay, no, no, I don't think so, but... Yeah, there, there was, I've, I've read about the Art of Conversation, actually. Yeah. I mean, I've, I haven't, um, yeah. you know, which is why I'm, I'm here just practicing it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> instead. But, um, but yeah, I like that. I like the idea that... So it's almost like, do you think that there's a certain scale of um, involved individual, like of participants in a conversation at which point it just you know, it's, uh, it's no longer quality or it loses its... It's a great question. And we're actually fig- trying to get to those numbers as mm. we open up the community. Right now, we're not focused on growth. We're focused on building the right product. And so our community is still pretty small for a reason. Yeah, I'm excited but I think, to participate. Um, we, the way we're going to... A, like, um, we've noticed that when a claim has about like anywhere between 10 to 20 people, it's like the right number. Hmm. Um, we haven't really tested anything above that, but below that also is not the right number either. For some of them it is, but like um, there's a sweet spot of how many people can participate in a discussion for it to be productive. And we're going to, I'll have probably have that answer to you in a few months or years, but I can't wait to find um, out. We'll get, we'll learn about that through the data and testing. I think in person, like for me, like a five person dinner. Yeah. Is like, Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And then if it goes to six, maybe, but once you get to like seven, eight, you start having the cross talk. Yeah. Right. And so obviously online, you're able to kind of silo those things a little yeah. bit better, but it, it's funny, you know, I talk about this with my girlfriend all the time, like the, the way that a group can all of a sudden, um, de- devolve, is that the word kind yeah. of devolve to the lowest common denominator. So like you can have a really engaging conversation with each individual in that group one-on-one, but when everyone comes together, it's literally just like jokes. Jokes, yeah. Because people feel um, uncomfortable. Well, I think it's because people feel uncomfortable, but yeah. maybe there's another reason for that. I, I don't know what the reason is, but yeah. uh, going back to that point, though, what we, we were actually observe, doing some analysis today. We started to notice that beyond a certain number of arguments, even, uh, it's actually not that valuable. A new argument added to that discussion is not that valuable. Oh, so there's like, actually, like the there's even, rule. yeah, there's even in, in, um, a number for the number of arguments. And so we're going to, we're going to learn a lot over the next few months about like, what is that right number? But it's, it's cool to see. And that's what I mean. Like it actually, it's like a real conversation. You, like it scales like a real conversation. And so the platform right now, like it's awesome. we're going to build it in a way where, um, people can form communities. So it's not going to be this like mass broadcast platform like Twitter. Twitter is basically, in my opinion, a megaphone. Um, well, we've seen that with certain individuals that yeah, use it as such. Twitter is a megaphone, and it doesn't allow, like, and people have already divide Twitter into different communities, kind of informally, like crypto Twitter or Black Twitter or yeah. uh, tech Twitter, whatever. Um, but we are going to kind of take the more Reddit approach, where we have communities. Ah, so uh, you're, gonna, you're going to intentionally say this is about this subject, so then people yeah. are gravitating towards it. Yes. It's interesting. Because I just don't believe, um, I think one of the biggest realizations I've had with the previous generation of social network was it was all about scale and mass, and that doesn't mm-hmm. always lead to the best outcomes. So would you say scale scale has been, is kind of the issue with these existing social media platforms? 
It's it's one, one of the of. biggest reasons. Yes. Um, and I read something really beautiful this morning where I think the guy said, uh, "If there's if you see a problem, it's probably because it's too big, or something along those lines." Mm. And it's so true. It like it hit a nerve because you're know, seeing the ramifications of scale, especially unmaintained scale. And and to be honest, like scale is hard to maintain. <clears throat> well, it's funny because as we discussed, ideas don't exist in a vacuum yeah. or maybe there's no original thoughts. I've been thinking a lot about this as well because in the natural world, when something gets too big, it almost, it, there's there's a cap on there's growth. There's a cap, yeah. And there's no cap on growth in the digital world. As you said, it's the, it's the world of the infinite. Yeah. It's the infinite world. And so it's unnatural Yeah. Um, how large these platforms have become. Yeah. Now the the... One billion dollar question or one trillion dollar question, I guess, is whose responsibility is it to say when it, when too big is too big, or yeah. does the thing just collapse in on itself? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think we anyone knows the answer to that, right? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. So, when do you launch True Story to the public? I think that people are going to be excited to check it out. Yeah, <laughs> we're, right now we're in private beta, but for people who are interested, they should definitely join the wait list. We don't have okay. a launch day for public launch yet. Again, because we're methodically focused on building the early community and the product. Um, but we are waitlisting users, inviting users every week, so definitely join the wait list. And how can people find you? Twitter. Um, so, Twitter? Yeah. I and am, then True Story one yeah, day. Tw- Twitter, I am Preeti, and then, yeah, True Story. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. This was fun. I feel like I learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. This is awesome. Good job. Yes. Thanks. (laughs) That's it. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. It's been a really fun ride so far. I just get so excited every time I meet some of these incredible people and just love sharing their stories and and ideas with you all. You can learn more about the show at thelookuppodcast.com. That's T-H-E, lookuppodcast.com. You can follow me on social media at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N on both Twitter, Instagram, um, and Medium. And Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page for the show as well, The Lookup Podcast um, on Facebook. So check us out. Uh, you can also subscribe to our mailing list on the website for more future updates. If there's anything from the show that you want to catch, I've posted that in the show links for you to check out. And if there's any way that I can improve, please let me know. Feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations, please let me know. Other than a couple of individuals who are helping me out in the background. You know, this is a passion project and I'm always open to feedback and any kind of support. I want to thank Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the sound editing and the intro and outro song that he created. And I want to thank Hello There Collective for their support on my social media. You can check them out at hellotherecollective.com. All right, that's enough for me. I'm sure you're ready to go on to your next activity. Thank you for listening. And please come back again next week for another episode of the Look Up Podcast. <laughs>